All right, so I'd like to call the October 17th, 2022 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mork. Present. Councilmember McConnell. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. Councilmember McConnell and Deputy Mayor Robertson indicated they would need to be excused. Is there a motion related to those two? Yes. I move to excuse uh, Deputy Mayor Robertson and Councilmember McConnell for personal reasons. Second that. Motion and a second. Is there any opposition? Seeing none, motion passes unanimously. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the proposed agenda? Great. Seeing none, the agenda is adopted unanimously. Next up is report of the city manager, Ms. Terry. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, we wanted to let the public know that our grounds maintenance team will soon start using a new technique called foam stream to get rid of weeds without the use of herbicides. We don't use herbicides now, but this is hopefully even an approved way to, to do that work. Uh, foam stream uses 208 degree water and a small amount of plant-based oil to create a, the foam that covers the weeds and the foam helps keep the heat in, giving it time to kill the leaves and move down to the roots of the weeds. Other municipalities who have tested the system report that it is safe to use around trees and other woody plants. The grounds team will begin its rights of way and will uh, test of different types of landscapes and applications to see where it works uh, the best for us and to make sure that off-target plants, especially trees, aren't affected negatively. Um, if you would like to join us uh, for a free safer cleaning for a healthy home class um, and skip the chemicals with safer cleaning tricks and recipes to make your own cleaning products, learn from the experts on how to shop for safe home and garden products that keep your home clean and your family healthy. Uh, attendees will receive a free safer cleaning kit and the class is at the Shoreline Recology store, which is at 15235 Aurora Avenue North on Wednesday, October 19th from 5 to 6 p.m. And you can learn more at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. Also, our annual Hamlin uh, Halloween haunt returns on Friday, October 21st from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Hamlin Park. You get to listen to spooky songs and stories as you toast marshmallows around a campfire, ride the hay wagon, play Halloween games, and have your face painted. Uh, you can learn more at shorelinewa.gov forward slash haunt. Um, and also make sure you bring a flashlight. Uh, for more information on other uh, public meetings and other events, you can visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. And also just a reminder that there is a planning commission meeting that will be held this Thursday, October 20th at 7 p.m. On the agenda is transfer of development rights program and landscape conservation and local infrastructure program implementation discussion. That's it. Thank you, Ms. Terry. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Well, on behalf of the council, I would like to invite the community to a reception on Monday, October 24th from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m., honoring our retiring city manager, Debbie Terry. Debbie has served the city for 22 years, with nine of those years as city manager. Please join us to thank her in person for exceptional leadership and work to build a better community for Shoreline residents. There'll be a short program beginning at 6, and light refreshments will be served. 
Next up is public comment, although unfortunately not uncommon for the budget cycle. No one has pre-registered, and I see no one in the audience but staff. So we are going to move straight on unless one of you folks would also like to provide public comment. Okay. Um, next up is the consent calendar. Councilmember Mork. I move <clears throat> approval of the consent calendar. Second that. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson, Councilmember McConnell, Councilmember Mark. Aye. Thank you. The motion passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is action on resolution number 500, rescinding resolution number 454, and ending the declaration of public health emergency related to COVID. And I think Mr. Norris is our presenter. Good evening, <clears throat> excuse me. Good evening, Mayor Council. John Norris, I'm the Assistant City Manager here for the City of Shoreline. And as the Mayor just mentioned, uh, tonight in front of you is uh, proposed resolution number 500, uh, which would rescind the resolution number 454 and end the declaration of public health emergency related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is in front of you tonight as an action item. There we go. Um, as Council is well aware, uh, people across the world have been combating and responding to the pandemic uh, for over two years now. Uh, COVID, is, of course, is still in our community uh, and in our region, so not taking that lightly, uh, but COVID is not the public health emergency that it once was back in 2020 and 2021. Uh, to go back a little bit in time uh, to the early days of the pandemic, some of the first actions the city took uh, to was to declare that COVID-19 was a public health emergency. The city manager took that action on March 4th, 2020, uh, and council subsequently ratified that decision on March 16th via council resolution. Uh, given we are where we are today, two and a half uh, years on from that, uh, and given the public health metrics that we're seeing in King County and in Shoreline, obviously we're now learning to live with COVID uh, while still protecting ourselves via vaccination and other means. Uh, staff does feel it is now an appropriate time to rescind that public health emergency. I know the governor, you probably uh, saw this in the news as well, the governor will be taking a similar action to rescind the statewide state of emergency uh, at the end of this month as well. Uh, in order to terminate the declaration of public health emergency, council must consider and adopt a resolution rescinding your prior resolution that ratified the city manor's declaration. And that is what uh, is before council tonight in proposed resolution number 500. Uh, as you can see on this slide, the resolution would direct the city manager uh, to terminate all emergency orders uh, of the city manager derived from or related to that declaration, which at this time have already been eliminated. So there really isn't much of a practical impact uh, uh, of this requirement. Um, it does make council's intent clear that COVID-19 related emergency orders are no longer authorized. Um, all council resolutions as well, this was noted in the staff report that were tied to the declaration would also be rescinded. Uh, again, uh, those have all basically run their course, and so there really wouldn't be a practical application as well for those. Uh, I did want to mention um, that uh, the city's COVID-19 vaccination mandate, which was established via resolution number 483, is not impacted by resolution number 500, as it is expressly stated in that resolution that um, that would need to be rescinded, and that's not a part of the proposed resolution in front of you tonight. Um, 
So obviously if council wants to have a discussion about that, that staff can bring that back uh, at a later time, uh, but did want to say that that uh, wouldn't be impacted by proposed resolution number 500 in front of you tonight. And so with that, staff uh, does recommend that the city council adopt resolution number 500, rescinding resolution number five, uh, 454 and ending the declaration of public health emergency related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, as per council rule of procedure 6.1B, uh, which states that for an action item that is before the city council for the first time that is not a part of the consent agenda, uh, public comment for that, and we'll need to follow the staff report but proceed council review. So happy to answer any questions uh, following that public comment period. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Ms. Norris. I'll now open up the public comment period for this action item. Is there anyone signed up for public comments? No one is signed up. And seeing no one in the audience, I'll close the public comment period. This is an action item. We generally start with a motion. Council, Councilmember Mork. Uh, I move to adopt resolution 500, rescinding resolution number 454, and ending the declaration of a health emergency associated with COVID-19. Is there a second? Second. Motion and a second. Would you like to speak to your motion? Uh, I think it's self-explanatory. Governor's doing it. It's time. Any other comments from Council? I would just add that this has been a long road and we're finally all back and it's it's nice to be back. And uh, you know, the deputy mayor and assistant city manager and city manager and I celebrated by having our last Zoom meeting wherein nothing worked. <laughs> and I ended up dropping out and just saying, I can't make it go. So I thought that was an appropriate way to end a public health emergency was with a remote meeting that just wasn't that functional. <laughs> so in any event, will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mork? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. And Deputy Mayor Robertson and Councilmember McConnell are absent. All right. The motion passes unanimously uh, five to nothing. And next up is study item 9A, which is discussing the 2023 to 2024 proposed biennial budget and uh, capital improvement plan. This is our department presentation, so we have a packed agenda tonight. Um, it looks like Ms. Lane is up first. Okay. Thank you, Mayor, Council. So yes, tonight we are doing department presentations. Um, before we start with that, I'm gonna make sure I can advance the slides. There we go. So as a reminder of where we've been, um, back in September, we, we brought to you a preliminary, preliminary view of the proposed budget. And last week, we transmitted that proposed budget to you. Um, and tonight, as, as I've said twice now, we are doing the um, department presentations or the first um, installment of that. As always, the budget information is available on the city's website. Um, residents can also choose to purchase a copy of the budget on CD if they choose at the city clerk's office. And we're working with the Shoreline Library to get um, a 
link on their website as well. So for tonight's meeting, we will be doing all of the city departments except for Public Works. We'll return next week with Public Works and also cover the Capital Improvement Plan um, as well as our Enterprise Funds. And um, we'll also cover the Debt Service Funds and General Fund Transfers at that time. So to just orientate you to the um, how the department budget is laid out in each of for in your proposed budget, if you haven't already gotten familiar with it. They're all the same. Every department is laid out with its mission statement at the beginning. Um, it also provides a high-level view of the historical expenditures that we'll preview as well in slides tonight and staffing trend. It covers the accomplishments for the last biennium or this current biennium that we're in, as well as um, the goals and work plan for the coming biennium that's in the proposed budget. Then there are more details that split the expenditures and revenues by various um, methods, and um, also a sheet that talks about the changes in the budget. And so as we walk through each of the departments tonight, you'll see that we've provided the page number for that department, so you could easily navigate to that. So it's um, important to remember that as we look at the department as a whole that they are developing the budget. Their staff have made recommendations and the city manager has included that in order to accomplish the highest priority city goals within the existing resources. So it, it certainly isn't everything that everybody would like to do, but we do intend to address council's highest priorities and you'll see in there as departments talk about the radar expansion, the implementation of the parking enforcement program, compensation for boards and commissions, as well as urban forestry support are the um, ongoing investments that are included in the proposed budget. You'll hear more about that from the departments. You'll also hear about the one-time investments. So these are investments that are not ongoing. They are a one-time um, cost that uses fund balance and they are used to support and implement council approved plans as well as your, your goals and the organizational goals, as well as um, investing capital and operating um, significant purchases or investments. And you'll hear about those from each department. So I do like to talk briefly. You might hear some continuous improvement from each of the departments, but I like to talk at a high level about um, just as a reminder that the city is very focused on continuous improvement. We see this as a way that it helps us to minimize our cost growth and to avoid cost, um, cost increases as well as sometimes find some good hard dollar savings from our continuous improvement. So here are some examples of um, continuous improvement efforts that have been undertaken in the past couple years. So with that, we will start in talking about the budget and we will, I'm going to use city council as an example of how we'll do that. So every department has this slide that does the expenditure comparison. You will see the person who will be doing the primary presenting coming up and joining me here at the table and I will just do a brief introduction on that um, department's budget and then turn it over them to them to speak. Um, one thing is different this year, although for some of you it's new for everything, but the um, there is in this proposed budget going to be a city manager recommended amendment 
in the event that our voters approve the levied lid lift. And so each department does have a slide that addresses the item. If they have any items, there's actually just three in that um, city manager recommended amendment. And so that will also be addressed in addition to the um, items that are included. But I think it should be very clear to you what's included and what will be the amendment. So with that, we'll talk about city council. So you see that city council's budget is um, just over $575,000 for the biennium. And there is no staffing changes um, anticipated. The increase, um, I will turn it over to assistant city manager Don Norris to talk about that um, increase in the budget. Right, and th thank you, and I apologize for interrupting, but unlike normal, we have a giant presentation with people coming and going. So I would encourage council members to to go ahead and raise your hand and ask questions during rather than at the end because we'll have to then move people around. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Good evening again, Council. John Norris, Assistant City Manager. Um, there are no uh, supplemental requests in the City Council's budget, but did want to take this opportunity briefly just to share really the results of the Council Salary Commission process, which was um, wrapped up uh, earlier this, uh, this fall in September. Um, this is a process that uh, Council is well aware of. You appointed a salary commission uh, in the spring. They did their work over the course of the summer. Uh, they have already made their decision, and so that decision they have filed with the city clerk is a final decision. It is incorporated into, the, into this year's budget, and you will see that uh, as part of the budget amendment that will be coming later uh, in, a, in November. Uh, for the current year, it is also, of course, incorporated in the 2023-2024 proposed budget. And so because that decision was made and filed with the clerk, I uh, just wanted to take this brief opportunity just to share uh, a little more publicly what the, the Salary Commission's decision was with regard to uh, council compensation. Uh, as you can see here uh, on the slide, um, uh, the Salary Commission uh, is a final decision, as I mentioned. As you can see here on the slide, the Commission set uh, council salary at the pay rates shown, and those are on a monthly basis. Uh, commission also included a provision that's subject to IRS limits that the council members could choose from zero to 100% of compensation to be taken as salary, to be allocated to deferred compensation as a retirement benefit, uh, or to be taken as a combination of either salary or deferred compensation. And finally, the commission eliminated the benefit package as currently established under City Council Ordinance Number 287. So that had been a fairly long-standing uh, uh, policy of the city, which provides for either health benefits or deferred compensation in lieu of those benefits. I know for many, many years the City Council has elected to um, not utilize health benefits and instead uh, opt for deferred compensation, which was part of the reason I believe the Salary Commission made that decision. Uh, there's no annual adjustment or salary inflator for future years beyond 2023. But by code, the Salary Commission will be seated again in 2026. So every four years is when uh, the commission has stood up. And so that will be uh, a future council's decision to appoint a future Salary Commission to review council compensation again at that time. Um, and for comparison's sake, the effect of the Salary Commission's decision on compensation for the positions of mayor, deputy mayor, and council member to increase monthly compensation by $146 per month, which equates to roughly between 6.1 and 6.8% increase over prior council compensation, which was the last set in 2013. So I think as council is aware, compensation has been stagnant or been flat since that time. So again, uh, this is really what makes up um, uh, the changes in the proposed budget and just wanted to uh, provide that information for the members of the public. Any questions for Mr. Norris? 
Thank you. Okay. Moving on, we will um, move to the city managers. And here you can see the city manager budgets found on page 109 in your proposed budget. And um, you see the biennial budget is just over 13.2 million for the biennium. And again, that increase is, will be explained by Mr. Norris. The um, staffing is holding pretty firm. One thing I'll take this opportunity to explain on the staffing trend is the, the employee count in this table is related to all staff assigned to projects or directly to that department. So if a project is being funded by a department or if that department manages that project, that's where the staff assigned to that. So sometimes you'll see odd little percentage changes that might make you scratch your head and that is because of an employee charging a small amount of their time to that project. So with that, I'll turn it over to Assistant City Manager John Norris. Thank you, Sarah. Um, and just by way of quick orientation here, a lot of programs make up the city manager's office budget, uh, including the city clerk, communications, intergovernmental relations, economic development, uh, and uh, property management, which is managed by our economic, economic development manager, Nate Dom, as well. Uh, the code enforcement and customer response team, light rail program, and the city manager's office itself. Um, Obviously, the pie chart here shows kind of the percentages uh, of the expenditures of, of those various programs within the budget. Um, almost all of these programs are supported by the general fund. Uh, uh, three are backed uh, by their own revenue. Uh, so the shore, uh, shoreline secure storage operations, which is supported by the revenue of the storage facility. Uh, the code abatement fund, which is supported by proceeds from property sales. And we have lien property that may have an abatement action against it and then the light rail program, which is supported through a funding agreement uh, through Sound Transit. And that is our program to permit uh, and inspect uh, the Sound Transit Limited Link Extension Project. Um, of course, we've got a new program, or just very briefly, and we'll hear that in a second, uh, the radar program as well, uh, which has a new name. But in the budget, it is referred to as the radar program. Question from Councilmember Poby. Thank you. Uh, the 10% for the the light rail, can you give a little details on that, if you don't mind? Yeah, so that is our light rail program. So that is um, staff that are 100% funded by Sound Transit to permit and uh, inspect the Linwood Link Extension project. So we have uh, what we call an interlocal funding agreement with Sound Transit. They provide funding to the city. So instead of uh, paying for standard permits like another developer would, we have a special agreement that funds our our staff to, to do the permitting for that. So, so the expenditure doesn't sit with the city, it's funded, it's given right. from Sound Transit. The expenditure and the revenue match up, and so it basically is, is it's a, a zero doubt. Zero, okay. Correct. Related question, is the, is the storage court operating at a revenue neutral basis? Yes, um, answer them. the storage court actually um, pro produces some net income every every month that okay. we use to pay down the um, the balance on the bonds. When we refinance this year, we were able to pay down about four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars from the revenues earned from storage court of the principal. Correct. Right. So leaving aside city being in business, that that, that at least we're no longer subsidizing that with tax money. Correct. Thank you. <clears throat> Great. And um, 
this slide here shows the proposed um, budget investments that is in the city manager's proposed budget uh, within the city manager's office. Uh, this starts with obviously uh, the radar uh, expansion program, which I know council is very well aware of. Program funding supports partnership with other King County cities uh, to create the regional mobile crisis response program. Uh, I know next week as well, you'll, uh, staff will be bringing back the interlocal agreement um, for council's consideration along with the Articles of Incorporation uh, to help uh, that would create that program. And so the funding in the budget proposal here would be for that interlocal agreement. Um, Shoreline's cost allocation is estimated $712,500 for the biennium for the program expansion for radar, uh, which will be offset by a budget reduction uh, in the vacant school resource officer uh, position in our police budget. Uh, One-time costs for the biennium for radar are $101,575 to cover startup for those costs. Uh, the other major addition, the city manager's office budget, is the addition of the parking enforcement unit, which is a current council goal. Uh, this includes two full-time staff positions uh, for primary responsibility for parking enforcement, anticipated cost for ticking uh, and restricted parking zone enforcement, uh, and a 0.5 FTE or half-time FTE for IT system support uh, for that program as well. Uh, you can see compensation for boards and commissions, which was discussed by the City Council at your strategic planning uh, workshop earlier this year. So that uh, funding is included in the City Manager's Office budget. Uh, and then two uh, one-time supplemental requests. Uh, one uh, for records management software implementation that is being managed by our City Clerk's Office, and our City Clerk can speak to that if there are questions about that, as well as some additional funding uh, in our code enforcement program. That I'd be happy to answer any questions that council may have. Councilmember, uh, thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> I've got a question about the, par the parking enforcement program. Do we expect that, that at some point that that will uh, be creating some revenues for the city? That's a good question, uh, Sarah. Do you want to start there, and I can maybe add some color commentary? We we have anticipated it will generate some revenue, not not nearly enough to cover the costs of of the program. Um, that's based upon our discussions with other cities that that are doing it. And I know council, I want to say two years ago, did increase uh, the uh, parking violation cost to force some additional revenue. But I think as, as, as uh, Administrative Services Director Lane just said, we expect that the general fund will need to subsidize this program. Mayor, if I could just add one other thing. I think one thing that um, Council will have further discussions about is the cost for the residential parking zone permits. Right now those are very low cost. Um, and there may be some policy decisions there that may, uh, I, I, you know, the Council may want to consider raising those costs, especially given our current costs um, would be a really good deal for people living in apartments to buy one of those instead of paying for parking in a parking garage, that type of thing. So we have not incorporated that higher um, cost, but that is something to be considered as this program is put together. And staff will be developing that program next year, and so those would be policy questions like that. Staff will be bringing back to the council in 2023. Thank you, Mr. Norris. Thank you. Great. Well, moving on, um, we'll talk about human resources, which you find on page 125. And um, you see that human resources is um, actually 
growing mildly and um, their staffing has not changed. So I would invite um, our HR, Human Resources and Continuous Improvement Manager, uh, Melissa Muir, to join us. She is online and she will speak to the um, Levy Lidlift Amendment that would be proposed if the um, Levy Lidlift passed. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, City Council. Uh, as Sarah mentioned, if the Levy Lidlift passes, the City Manager recommends an amendment to add one FTE for a human resource analyst position. Um, from the HR perspective, in 2022, 50% of the city's workforce will be new somehow in their position. We are um, advertising our 100th position of the year to date and have seen incredible pressure in the region, not just in Shoreline, uh, as we are facing more openings and fewer candidates and exodus to a variety of competing things in this labor market. In the past 20 years, the city has grown employee-wise uh, by two-thirds, but HR staffing has remained unchanged. We also, in the last two years, as you know, have a new collective bargaining agreement, and there is a tremendous um, uh, need to continue developing our labor relations. And importantly, uh, as we look at how we attract candidates, hiring people, train and develop them, if we're going to be a strong anti-racist community, it's going to start with an anti-racist workforce. So thank you very much for your consideration. Questions for Ms. Muir? Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. So in 2019, I see three um, staff members, if you look at the staffing trend. And then in 2023 through 2024, I still see three. Yes. We, um, we did not, because this is not a... Um, addition that's included in the proposed budget, it would be added as an amendment if the levied lid lift would be something staff would recommend that council would um, add as an amendment if the levy lid lift were approved by voters. And so the staffing trend um, has remained flat since um, inception. That leads me to the second question, knowing how critical this is in terms of uh, continuous improvement and compliance when it comes to HR stuff. Uh, what's the backup plan for this? Temporary staffing is um, how we have been addressing the immediate need using um, other savings. So it, it's not a sustainable long-term approach. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Thank you, Ms. Muir. Thank you. Okay, I'm moving on to city attorney. So I will just go ahead and cover city attorney. We just have um, two slides for that. So you find this on page 133, and you see that there is um, some, some growth in the budget, primarily due to contracting um, increases, other in addition to normal staff um, staffing cost increases. And again, in city attorney's office, staffing has remained flat. Um, we see that the breakdown of expenditures between the two primary functions, the city attorney general um, city support versus prosecuting attorney. So it's a 70-30 split. And our city attorney, uh, Margaret King, is available to answer any questions you might have. Any questions for Ms. King? Councilmember. Uh, thank you, thank you, Mayor. Just a quick question here. Um, within the sort of the internal side for the on the city attorney side, 
at what point, I mean, uh, in what point or has there been any consideration of when we might look at increasing the size of that department? Um, we actually, that is something that has been considered and we are anticipating in the next biennium that it's likely we would be proposing. But um, Margaret, would you like to speak to that further? I think that's correct. And then that's been the discussion about uh, at the next biennium meeting to take a look at that um, because uh, a lot of the increases right now are prosecuting attorney related for community court and those kind of things. But as we increase code enforcement and as we increase um, some of the other things, as we become more populated and there's just more things for us to be doing, um, those are not easily contracted out to outside counsel, and it's not a good use of funds to contract that kind of work out. So that's the, been the discussion that we've had. So at some point, so you're in the next biennium, one of the things you're going to be looking at is sort of workload issues, but also, you know, I know that we in the past have contracted out for specialty sort of cases that we presume is going to continue, but what I'm hearing is that there's becoming sort of that sufficient workload that a discussion is starting to happen about needing to expand this office, whether with another attorney or with a support person or just another attorney, or is it too early to tell? I think we're, we've we got a program and we're trying to track kind of where we're spending our time, and then that would necessarily determine where we could get the most bang for our buck as far as some additional support. Um, so we're, we're, we've been getting that data for almost two years now, and so mm -hmm. I think that that's what we're really going to look through. It, it is true that we mostly contract out for specialty items. It's, it takes a lot of work to just contract out for everyday stuff, so we, we just try to keep that in-house. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. And in previous years, I've, I've questioned the amount spent on outside counsel, but the specialty needs change every year. And so I've stopped asking that because I mean, the, the, the answer has become self-evident. It's that sometimes, some years we're bond heavy, in other years we need a lot of land use, in other years we just need, and firing, finding one person to do all that in-house would be difficult. But I, I would always encourage us to do it in-house if possible. It is so much less expensive than, than hiring outside lawyers, as one myself. Okay. <laughs> this last year, just so you know, we had a lot of specialties on environmental cleanup situations yeah. which is definitely out of my specialty and that is where you would go and find outside counsel great so moving along to um, the police budget um, which you'll find on page 185 and we do see um, a, a fairly sizable increase in the biennial budget um, for our police services, um, as well as a decrease in the staffing trend that um, Assistant City Manager John Norris already spoke about, the reduction of the school resource officer, but I'll turn it over to Chief Kelly Park to speak about the other changes in police. Thank you. I'm Chief Kelly Park, Shoreline Police. Uh, we wanted to give you some slides of some of the, the cool stuff that we've been doing this year uh, with our outreach. So. I hope you enjoy that. Uh, so with regards to our budget changes, you are seeing a pretty uh, significant increase this year. Um, the reduction of our SRO position is um, going to help mitigate that a little bit. And then those funds are, of course, being reallocated to help support the expansion of radar. 
Those increases are primarily due to anticipated increases uh, related to our King County Sheriff's Office Guild contract in anticipation of that passing. Additionally, uh, the liability insurance increases in cost for King County across the board. As you can see, our workload has not changed much. Uh, we all know that we're dealing with some significant issues with our staffing and we continue to do more with less. So everybody is really pitching in at times doing two jobs um, for the price of one to continue to provide excellent service to the community. And we wanted to articulate too just a, a visual of our response times. Um, we've actually consistently done better as years have gone on and again pointing out the fact that we are uh, at a low staffing rate right now and a significant staffing crisis that we're continuing to work on daily but continuing to meet some, uh, some excellent response times specifically with our priority X calls. Um, as you can see our cost comparisons uh, to other like-sized agencies um, are significantly lower despite the increase that we have in our, our uh, budget coming forward. And so with that, we'd open it up to any questions you might have for Chief Park. Can you give us just a thumbnail of the $4 million increase? Excuse me? A thumbnail of the $4 million projected increase. Where, where is that money going? Is that is that pretty much purely due to the 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 thirty percent increase in the contract? Uh, it's it's due specifically to two things: the increase in the liability insurance has uh, affected all of our contract costs across the board okay. for the sheriff's office. That is the bulk of of the uh, the budget increase. Yes. Right. And then our police officer guild contract that is uh, looking good to pass as well, um, and the increase in pay for our agency members also contributes to that. So I, I have thought since I started on council that we're understaffed. I think 0.97 is low. And it's possible to have too many police officers. I mean, we don't want to be getting complaints that someone's been pulled over three times in the same week for broken taillight. But those are not the complaints we get. The no. complaints we get are we love our police, but there doesn't seem to be enough of them around. So I, I continue to encourage us to look at a potential increase in staffing. And I fully understand that when you're down 22%, that's not realistic. But long term, as you go about your new duties, I would encourage you to look at whether we need to increase it a little bit. If no, only absolutely. for public perception, because where we've been falling in our citizen satisfaction is mm -hmm. pretty much purely on police, although the response times are remaining good. So my actual question, though, is uh, given that we're looking at a two to three, three year timeline at best to get the staffing problems fixed, is there anything we can do now? Is there anything we can fund now that would make it easier for your folks to to be working those double shifts. Well, one thing that we are doing to try to increase and get um, get our staffing up quicker than some of the other contracts is we now have a direct line fed from our uh, patrol ops division. Sure. So rather than having to borrow from other agencies, or not agencies, excuse me, but precincts, and try to hold on to those folks that we put through the training program, they're directly fed to us. Uh, but with that, we have, in the last two weeks, uh, been given notice that we have another trainee coming out um, by Halloween. And then just this morning got the good news that we're going to get an eight-year veteran of the Seattle Police Department um, as a lateral trainee for us as well. The good news about getting the laterals is that we usually have them off and running much faster um, and able to do the work with less training time. 
Sure. Th thank you for all that. What I'm asking, though, is th this is our time to fund new programs for two years. I and mean, we can do it mid-year, but we try to do it now. So if there's anything you can ask of us to fund, when I asked Chief Ledford that four years ago, he said electric motorcycles, and we all kind of went, okay, but we got electric motorcycles because right. that was a priority for him. If there's anything you need now to, to ease the workload while we're staffing up, I would encourage you to ask because I think you would find us fairly receptive. I appreciate that, Mayor. Thank you. Any other questions for the chief? No. All right. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Moving on to criminal justice, which we'll find on page 199. Um, we see that um, the there is an increase in criminal justice, um, and you see the big dip in 20 in the current actual projected. And um, Christina Arcity, our CMO uh, management analyst, will speak to that. Good evening, Council, Mayor. Thank you for having me. So as you can see, the criminal justice portion of the city's budget is made up of three categories, public defense, municipal court services, and jail. The city contracts for all of these services. Projections for each of these categories in the budget, along with future forecasts, are primarily based on activity trends over the past couple years. The dip you saw on the last slide is primarily related to COVID impacts. So the jail housing days biennium graph that you see here um, is related to account for 54% of the criminal justice budget. So this graph is showing both the actuals and the projected jail usage. The city currently has three contracts for jail services, but only has confirmed two contracts for next year. The primary booking and jail facility for defendants in predisposition is SCORE. King County Jail is used when a defendant is booked or jailed on charges for multiple jurisdictions or on felony and city charges at a rate more than double. Yakima County previously housed most of SCORE's sentence inmates at a rate 50% lower than SCORE. However, they will no longer be providing contract jail services starting in 2023. Additionally, the city will continue contracting for at-home detention services for defendants who qualify for a public defender. This contract began in 2022 and allows defendants to go to work or other approved activities while being monitored by the court. The cost for this is about 5% of the daily bed rate at SCORE. Happy to answer any questions you might have about our criminal justice budget. Questions for Ms. Arcidi? Yeah, Mayor. Thank, thank you so much. I'm looking at the uh, the expenditure by program, and I'm looking at the criminal justice and jail services. That's about 1.3 million increase. What goes into that? Sorry, I'm sounding dumb, but I want to hear more details about that. Sure. So for um, and and I realized too when I showed this slide that it's a little bit difficult to see how it translates to the costs because the different jails actually have significantly different cost to them. So for example, the King County Jail here in the green for the projection for 2023-2024, that's at a very high rate compared to the much lower uh, number of score. And if we were still able to contract with Yakima as we have in the past, such as in 2017-2018, that's at a very min minuscule amount. So the, the jail costs um, are, significant, are a significant portion of the amount of that, um, that piece. And then for court services, uh, that is 
directly our municipal court services. So it pays for our, our, our judges, our clerks, the space that we use. And then uh, lastly, for the public defense, that includes the screening services that we use for indigent clients. It includes the primary public defense firm, and it also includes the conflict public defenders that we use as well. Thank you. I don't have any issues with the numbers. I get that. What I was trying to get is what you nailed uh, on in your last statement, and that is what was driving it. And so is a switch from Yakima to a more expensive um, jail. That's, that's, this is just a projection, right? So this is just a projection. What we're seeing now, and um, police could speak to this as well, is that while during COVID we had a lot of um, a lot less officer interaction with the public, they were purposefully holding back due to the public health emergency. There was also recent legislation that had been put in place that was unclear about how officers could continue to make certain types of arrests, or there were certain procedures that were now in place, for example, with the Blake decision around making arrests, that no longer officers were no longer making immediate uh, arrests. So uh, the projection, for example, for jail we are using both the what we're seeing as trends this year with which is increasing numbers of people who are being who are going to jail and then also being sentenced as well as uh, changes to the legislation there's more clarity and then we are also going to see two new judges in 2023 starting and we're not totally clear what their judicial philosophy will be. We only know one of the two yet, but that is also a component to how, for example, the jail housing rates will be impacted, their expenditures will be impacted. So it's, um, what it then requires is us to be monitoring this regularly to um, flag any trends that are occurring that we weren't anticipating. Okay, that's helpful because in my mind, Without you clarifying, I was, I was looking for more details to uh, justify the numbers, what the factors were. And so I felt like we're going to do, or we're going to be doing more arrests. But you just clarified that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mayor. So uh, just to clarify, what you're saying, this is a conservative projection, number of jailbreds used. I believe it is a conservative view. We did also, in, uh, we started the contract for at-home detention this past year with two new judges. We don't know how likely they will be to use it, but that is something that we now also have available. And like I said in the presentation, it's a 5% of the cost of SCORE, for example. So it's incredibly cost-saving for the city to, if we're able to use it. And do we have a sense of how many people are in that category right now of sort of that at-home detention? I believe we have three people using it as of today. It will fluctuate over time. What we hope is that they'll start to use it for both um, pre-sentencing as well as for sentenced uh, individuals as well. And is there a capacity issue in terms of, I mean, theoretically, could if everyone qualified, I mean, I'm going to make that assumption for this question, <laughs> because I know that's not the case. But assuming everyone qualified, is there enough capacity to send all of those, to have all of those jail beds done at, with at-home detention? 
there is capacity. The uh, company that we use to sentence um, just has to order more of the bracelets and the other devices that go along with it. And so part of our discussions with them in monitoring the contract is to make sure that they know what the trend line is and how many we need so that they have them available locally. Okay, so I mean, it's, that's not an issue. If the judges were to sentence individuals to at-home detention, it's not a problem, capacity problem for us. Correct. We just need to know a couple days, <laughs> a little bit in advance to make sure that there's some some capacity on hand, but. Correct. I will say that judges are not likely to use it for certain types of cases uh, like DV or DUI may not be the best usage of this particular, depending on if they're a risk to themselves or other people, right. this would not be the best choice. Um, but for other crimes, it certainly is. Yeah, I mean, I would not assume that it's best for everyone. But I mean, it just was sort of, when we were talking about sort of in the past, when we talked about moving to uh, so much County and when we talked about moving to Yakima, I mean, it was for, to try to reduce costs and that, I mean, anything that makes sense and works for the community is good. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Before we get to the next question, is there any objection to excusing staff members who have already given their report? No. Right. Chief and Captain, I was looking at you. You're always welcome to stay, but I don't think we, we need you to if, unless you, you'd like to. Thank you. All right. Councilmember Povey. Thank you. I'm looking at revenue by type, and I see that um, from 208000 to 841000 So the revenue is based on the traffic tickets that are given. And so during COVID, we did not issue as many traffic tickets. Again, the approach was to really back off of interactions regularly. We also, due to staffing shortages in the police department, have eliminated we have eliminated all of the traffic uh, patrol officers. And so they've been put to uh, respond to priority X, one and two calls and other types of work. And we, so we are anticipating them coming back into the normal uh, line of work, basically. Is that right? I see Chief Park saying. I apologize, Steve. We're broadcasting, so if you can just come to a mic. Yeah. yeah. And a surprising number of folks are actually listening in. I'm constantly surprised when my neighbors say, last night. <laughs> no, no yeah. worries. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, we're absolutely anticipating um, redeveloping our traffic unit. They're just redeployed at this moment. So uh, saying that we eliminated the positions, we haven't eliminated them. We're just redeploying them to the priority calls at this time and hope to get that traffic unit back up and running as soon as possible. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'll speak to the revenue projection, I think, again, in the interest of conservatism, um, given the fact that we don't anticipate all of the vacancies being filled in this, you know, in the first or even beginning of the second year of the biennium. That was why we did not um, increase that projection for revenue. A couple things.
things, for starters, I mean, my, my experience, recent experiences with the juvenile system, not adult, but we do EHM all the time. I mean, it's really not, it's highly effective, and I would encourage us to encourage our prosecutor to support it. I mean, DV is the exception, and if you're homeless, you know, that's an unfortunate inequality, but everything else, even DUI, I don't see why we're detaining people in jail when they're charged with a misdemeanor, except for the few weird one-offs. I mean, for me, EHM should be a default, not a, not a, not a, you know, a rare thing. Second, I remain concerned about using SCORE for pretrial, and that's less to do with expense than with police time. If you're transporting someone to King County, that's one thing. I mean, that's the closest we've got, but if you've got to go all the way down to SCORE, we're so concerned at keeping bodies on the road that I, I wonder if we've looked, A, at overtime, which probably isn't that big of a deal, but B, at hours. And I'm wondering if, given that we're prioritizing officers on patrol, it might not be a wiser investment to pay more to King County for the pretrial and then just use score for, for post. Certainly, I can look at that. So we can add that question in terms of what kind of cost savings to the council matrix. I will say that, uh, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of other options for cost savings uh, with jails. We have only really five other jails in the region who are accepting city contracts. And even with um, King County, I'm not sure that even if we wanted to, that they would accept us because of their yeah. limitations currently. And uh, the counties look at really minimizing the number of um, defendants that they have held there. So we've had experiences where we've brought someone there and have been denied. And so uh, we're a little bit in a rock and a hard place and we need to go where we can, where we have a contract and where we're being accepted. And currently our best option locally is SCORE unfortunately, but I definitely, I can get back to you in terms of uh, if we can analyze that a little bit deeper in terms of officer time and things like that. I'm not sure it's so, it's so much of a budget question because I don't think the budget delta is going to be that much. It's just, it's just a, a duty assignment question. And if King County is not an option, my understanding, I guess I was wrong, is that King County was expensive. That's why we weren't using it. If they're simply not available, then score is our choice, and that's, that's live. They're currently not taking city okay. misdemeanors if there's not another felony charge, um, uh, unless there's some other absolutely extenuating circumstance or they're going to go into a King County program that they have there. Um, I know officers have attempted to take people there in other ways, but it's, it's okay. not been All right. I, I would encourage us to keep yeah. looking at that, but I, I, I don't think that needs to on the matrix because I don't, I don't think we need a financial analysis of it. It's a, it's a staffing question. If I could add to that as well, Mayor, uh, on top of them declining on several people that we've brought down there, we're experiencing extremely long waits just to get into the Sally Port, sometimes upwards of three hours. So it's actually quicker for us to get all the way back, back and forth from SCORE. Um, than to sit there and potentially be declined after three hours of, of waiting to hear that. So it's unfortunate we're working on that with King County Jail right now to try to improve that. Thank you. Any further questions? Councilmember. Thank you, Mayor. Um, you said there, there's currently five jails that are taking um, city contracts. Can you get us, let us know what, the, which, what they are? <laughs> Yes, there are Kirkland City Jail, Issaquah Jail, Kittitas County Jail, Benton County, and Klickitat County. Well, let's do Benton. 
we can certainly look at that. I, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not Brenton with an R, Benton. I with know that's. A, I, oh, I heard. Okay. That's, that's why I said, why is that? Why are we even discussing Benton County yeah, Jail? Yeah, yeah. We can take them to Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. If you could, if I mean, if you could put that on the matrix and sort of, sort of give us a sense of what the rates are, just so we have a good, can adequately compare. I know you've done a good job, so, but sometimes we just need to double check and have good information when we are asked why we are using this particular facility as opposed to another facility. Thank you, Mayor. Right. Any further questions? Ms. Terry, did you have a comment? No. Okay. You were pointing to council member. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. Great. Well, now we will move on to planning and community development, page 207. Um, and I will point out that this looks like a significant budget increase between the current biennium and the proposed biennium. And partly that is because you may recall that staff approved the addition of um, four FTEs in 2022. The budget for those FTEs only covered a portion of one year that we actually thought we'd have staff in place. So um, if you adjusted 2021-22 for the full biennium, you wouldn't see nearly the increase. So I thought I would just answer that question off the bat. And the staffing is remaining fairly constant, or, and the difference there is one of those project um, accounting situations I'd mentioned earlier. So without that, with that, I will turn it over to our Planning Community Development um, Director, Rachel Markle. Good evening, Mayor and Council, and thank you, Sarah. And I'll just dive right in. The Planning and Community Development Department is comprised of four different teams, building and inspections, permit services, city planning and administration. Over 90% of the department is devoted to the direct delivery of permit-related services and long-range planning. The proposed budget includes funding for professional services to assist staff with st the state-mandated update of the comprehensive plan and the critical areas regulations. These products are required to be completed by the end of the biennium. The budget also includes funding from a state grant to assist the city with development of policies and possibly draft regulations for missing middle housing. And finally, on these requests, the proposed budget includes um, the continuation, a request to continue funding on-call contracts and extra help as a backup plan for permit review and processing. We've used these contracts to support the expedited permit review program as backfill for permit review and inspection services during staff vacancies and in response to spikes in permit submittals. This allows us to perform the required services with not, without having to overstaff for such events. The investment is would be backed by project projected permit revenue. This slide shows that we're consistently seeing nearly 3,000 new permits annually, and revenue is also reliably reaching three-plus million per year. And you may find this slide of interest. It illustrates the value of commercial construction, um, it, as shown by the green part of the bars, and residential construction, as shown by the blue part of the bars. Commercial construction has increased in value from $81 million in 2016 to nearly $246 million in 2012. We expect the value of commercial projects to maintain, if not increase in value. 
Um, and the importance of this is uh, value in construction has a direct correlation to permit revenue. In conclusion, the budget proposed for PCD for the next biennium is intended to support processing and inspection for 3,000 plus projects, permits, and um, most of those will, a lot of those will be complex commercial construction as well as delivering several major long range policy projects. I look forward to your questions now. Thank you. Questions for Ms. Marco? Yes, ma'am. Councilmember Puppy? Thank you so much. Um, with the uh, 300000 in grant for the comprehensive plan update, do we already have it or is it anticipated? The, the, the so, 300000 we yeah. are supposed to receive 175000 this year and 175 next year. Okay. Uh, why is that included in the revenue by type? I was trying to work that out. So much detail, sorry. Let me get to the right page. Thank you, Sarah. And I just oh, you, I'm sorry. This might be causing the confusion. It's 87.5 this year and 87.5 next year. Okay. Thank you. Further questions or comments? Councilmember. Um, I was just wondering uh, how much we are spending on contingent. I mean, I don't expect the answer now, but uh, it would be nice to sort of see what sort of how much we're spending on sort of contingency and sort of extra um, help over time. I mean, I don't think that's sort of not necessarily reflected in what was transmitted to us, but it would be nice to sort of get a sense of what kind of increases or it has, if there has been an increase in sort of going out for uh, extra work and, and uh, contracting out uh, over the last few biennia, if that's possible. Sure, we'll put that in the matrix. Thank you. Thank you. I, I remain, I think there's more of a plan than I know of, um, but it seems to me that we often seem to be reactive to permit times and we'll get extra folks in for sound transit. And I would love to see us probably in the next biennium with sort of a comprehensive look at here's what we're doing in terms of permit time, in terms of this, in terms of that. And here's the areas we want to see a change and here's here's we want to fund it. I, I personally, and I think council in general, is pretty willing to increase funding because my sense is we've done what we can to make it as efficient as possible with the resources we have. And it may be that that when we hear complaints about permit times in Seattle is so much better and why did this happen, why did that happen, that's just grousing that we always get. But, but there's enough of it that I'm concerned that maybe we should be investing more money in just getting citizen satisfaction when they walk into permit or developer satisfaction when they go in for a permit that Shoreline is the best place to go, not somewhere in the bottom, which is what I, I tend to hear. And again, that, that's after years of hearing all the stuff we and you have done to make it as efficient as possible with the folks you have, so maybe it's time to get more, just more bodies in there. Thank you. Councilor oh. Roberts. Thank you. And one more question. I'm wondering what kind of educational effort the planning department has done to make sure that people get the proper permits. I mean, we are getting, we often sort of hear complaints about, well, my, I was slapped with, I was, code enforcement came in and said, put a stop work order for something that 
they didn't know that they had to get permits for. How do we, what can, I wonder what kind of efforts we are doing to sort of educate contractors, to educate homeowners, to sort of know, okay, this is a thing that you have to get a permit for. Um, is there any of that work that's, or do we have the, even the staffing to do any kind of that educational effort? If it be okay, I'd like to put that on the matrix and I can give of you a course. much more comprehensive answer. Yeah, happy to. That's what the matrix is for. <laughs> thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Councilmember Rumsdale. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Are, are, with the increase in staffing, are, are, are you seeing um, the amount of time for permits to be approved um, reducing in time? Um, just, uh, I'm just kind of wondering if we have, if we're, if the question is do we have enough people um, to, to do the work now that we've hired a few more, are we seeing those turnaround times uh, 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 reduced than, than, uh, than before? I don't believe we've had enough time with the actual people on staff yet, and we still have two yet to hire. Okay. Um, that will be what we'll be looking at when we come back again to talk about staffing. How far did that get us um, to meeting our goal? Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Markle. There we go. Now we are at the Recreation, Cultural, and Community Services, which you'll find in page 143 of your budget. I'm going to write that down myself. Um, so as we look at the expenditure comparison, there's um, actually a decrease because of one-time funding, one-time budgets that have um, went away with, I think, the pandemic. We had some increases happening there. And um, we see staffing staying flat, um, although we will hear about one of the um, levy lift recommended amendments um, from our Recreation, Cultural, and Services Director, Colleen Kelly. So take it away, Colleen. Thank you, Sarah. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, this uh, slide is intended to uh, show the division of our uh, uh, expenditures. Uh, the, it's sort of a, a gross roll-up in the two big categories that you see. So the above, tried to break it out in a little more detail. Um, I would add that the if you break out the recreation piece even further, there's uh, quite a number of programs that are wrapped up just in recreation, and I imagine you're all familiar with that. But um, this slide also was just meant to provide a little bit of a, a visual flavor of the breadth and scope of all that's included in the department a lot of outward-facing activities for the community. In terms of our uh, planned budget investments for 23 and 24, the two one-time investments that are being recommended are for a human services strategic plan. Uh, I think that was brought up in the preliminary budget conversation. Uh, it would be the first time Shoreline has done a strategic plan looking at human services. And then also uh, support for ongoing ongoing support for a social worker at the Shoreline Senior Center, bringing that person from half-time to full-time uh, for the next biennium. Uh, in addition, there is funding in 23 and 24 still available through the ARPA uh, dollars, um, and we are recommending that we use uh, some of those uh, funds to 
support our youth and teen development program to ensure that we can continue the hang time program at the middle schools. A couple of factors uh, are at play there. One is that last year the district uh, added sixth grade, might have been two years ago, COVID, not sure. <laughs> um, and so that uh, just increased the numbers of, of kids. The other factor is that the YMCA has discontinued their involvement in that program. So in order to keep it going, uh, we need additional staff capacity here. Um, we'll also be uh, continuing to make our human services investments, and I believe that'll be coming back to the council later in November for your consideration. And finally, uh, we'll be using some of those funds, or recommending that we use some of those funds to supplement the Best Arts for Kids grant, which was renewed this year at the highest level that the county offered, but not quite as high as we had in the past. Uh, and so the ARPA funding will allow us to continue the level of service that we had with the prior grant. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a bit of a breakdown of the human services allocations uh, specifically. And uh, again, I think you uh, approved this plan in um, pretty specific form a couple weeks ago. Uh, basically showing the uh, sort of steady slight increase in the general fund contribution, uh, getting to uh, the achieving council policy of wanting to allocate 1% of general fund to support human services. Uh, so that's the, the blue bar there. And then uh, there's uh, uh, general fund one-time dollars that we had available to allocate in 23 and 24, and then the CDBG minor home repair and liquor tax dollars uh, pretty steady on the top of those bars across uh, the years. And looking at the revenue trends, this looks familiar to other graphs you've seen tonight where there's a big dip in 2020, and we all know what that's about. Uh, steady uh, kind of recovery from that and anticipating that we'll be pretty bit close to what we saw in 2018, uh, not quite as much as in 2019 for the next biennium. Uh, talking with Mary about that, it sounds like they really pushed it in 2019 in terms of the number of camps and programs that were offered, uh, probably beyond the capacity that we really had for, for good staffing. Uh, so trying to balance those things out, we think we'll be uh, back at uh, sort of normal levels for 23 and 24. Councilor. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, oh, sorry, I did another slide. One, one more slide. So, oh, wait. it's okay. Uh, so this is the one that Sarah mentioned a moment ago that uh, should the levy lid lift uh, pass, uh, it included in the proposed amendment uh, at that time would be an increase of one recreation specialist from a 0.65 FTE to a 1.0 FTE. And that is uh, partly to just acknowledge the uh, amount of uh, workload associated with our camps, as well as to uh, try to implement some of our adopted aging and adult strategies uh, that have really yet to, to take to take hold. So that's what that would be about. Thank you, Mayor. I do have a couple questions about camp. Um, the first is on the hang time pro program. Is that program full or is there extra additional demand for that program? Uh, both, right? It's, it's all the way full. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that's happening is it's having to be capped now. Kids are having to register for it as opposed to having it just be able to be open drop-in mm -hmm. because of the, ca the capacity limitation on the staffing side. And 
I know that hang time is sort of divided between two two locations, and so are both locations in the same place, both full and both. <laughs> That's my understanding. Okay, so if we're looking to expand, we'd be looking to need to sort of increase at both locations. Um. Yes, I would have to, if you want some detail about that, I'd be glad to put that as a matrix issue and follow up with um, more detail. No, I'm just sort of curious. I just want to make sure that there's sufficient, and it sounds like there is very robust demand for the hang time program. Very. Okay. Um, I do want to sort of go back sort of go back to the question about camps and some are, especially the youth camps and activities that are, um, have been offered. And I, I know in 2019, that was the last, I believe that was the last year the pool was operating. Is that, yes. Are the, were those? Those revenues were backed out of that chart. They were, so, okay. So, so we're comparing apples to apples over the years. And also the number of camps or? No, the numbers of, so that's why you did see a little bit of a, a spike in 2019 because there were more camps offered. Okay. And it did bring in more revenue, but it really stretched the staff. Okay. Probably but, well, farther than we should. Okay, so but okay, so we're, the pool, all the classes from the pool were taken out of Correct. what what has been sort of shown and described to us. Correct. In, okay. um, and in the on page one fifty seven, it looks like you're looking at a hundred camps in twenty twenty three and two hundred in twenty twenty four, or is that a typo or is that a? I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. Because the revenue looks the same for both years, and so an increment. Yeah, let me follow up on that. I'll, okay. I'll get we'll back that here. one in the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I just wanted to sort of, I mean. It it's seems, a reasonable question. <laughs> it, it does seem like it would be, if things are moving and people are going, want their children in camps and other classes now, I hope that we're offering them and not waiting until the second year of the biennium to sort of start offering those classes, which I presume are pretty well attended. Yeah, I do need to look into that and let you know. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Further questions or comments? Councilmember Povey. Thank you so much, Ms. Kelly. Uh, staffing uh, trend. So housing and human services from 1.67, reducing that to 0.93. Any reason why? Um, on page 144. Whilst you're doing that, the reason is I was, uh, a few months ago we brought up a critical issue about people who are being slapped with increment in um, rent. Not that we have control over that, but some needed, you know, um, some support and also another. But what the feedback was, we don't have anybody who is solely in charge of housing uh, or housing divisional department or anybody for that. And so I see that here and I'm just wondering, I think it's even gonna be needed more. So uh, the, I'm just curious about the reduction. Yes, and I remember talking with Katrina, this is a math thing, I think, <laughs> that I'm not recalling right now, um, because the staffing basically is flat. Um, so it's not, an, it's not an increase, but I'm not, we don't have an actual reduction, am I right, Sarah? Yeah, there's no yeah. reduction in staffing. It's just how it's being reflected between the programs, and um, we can double-check that. Yes, sure. I, think, I think what's happening is that we are trying to catch up to the reorganization, and so some of the 
uh, so you'll see where some things are zeroed out that there were staff in the past. And so they're just showing up, I think, in different columns. Um, and so it, at the bottom, you'll see all the totals are the same. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Is so it we're, trading we're off basically, functions, maybe? We're basically flat staff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Because I was going to follow up with the equity and justice position as well. But since you clarified that, that's okay. Further questions or comments? Thank you, Ms. Kelly. May I think I have one more question? Okay, sorry. actually, Ms. Kelly, sorry. Spoke too soon. Yeah, I think this is one of the departments that really, um, well, I'm not saying other departments do not, but when it comes to the community and the impact, this is one of it. And so I'm just wondering with the funds that were utilized, uh, especially from uh, the upper funding, now that we have seen the impact, and the feedback, how do we continue to sustain those impactful programs when the upper funding is no more? Do we see that in the budget? And, and that actually is one of the challenges I think we raised in the budget is that um, like for the hang time staffing that we're proposing to use the ARPA funding, but the challenge is how do we continue it afterwards? And so um, I think we recognize that these are needs and unfortunately, we have the financial constraints of our forecast. So trying to, to balance those. So I think everybody recognizes that there are ongoing needs that we need to look at how to fund. The question is just, can we afford to? And council member, I'll just clarify. We, we do still have money to put into the programs for 23 and 24. That's the plan that we'll be bringing back in November. We intend to just bring back a plan for 23 to allow us time to better understand what the needs are going to be in 24, just because the volatility and the change has been so unpredictable. Uh, so we think it's wiser to do one year at a time. But we do still have money to, to stretch into those two years, but the question will be there at the end of that biennium. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I would just encourage staff to push for things during the budget cycles, right? I mean, this, this is the time, I think, to come to us and say, look, you know, here's a couple of programs that I would really like to see funded, and here's why, right? I mean, oftentimes, it's, it's not a matter of what we can pay for, it's a matter of where we choose to put the funding. So, so I, you know, we, we tend to get budget reports that are pretty much status quo with a few little changes. I, I don't, I mean, I know you all respect each other and don't want to trample on each other's toes, but, but for me, this is the time to say, I could do so much more with 500,000 in this program and then let us bounce it around because it's it's on our shoulders a lot to sort of figure that out if we want to make big changes. And honestly, we're not the experts at that. So especially given your giant portfolio, um, <laughs> if there's something that you really think would make a giant difference in the city, bring it to us and let us see if we can, we can find a way to pay for it. Thank you, I appreciate that. Okay, so Last is going to be the Administrative Services Department citywide, which you'll find on page 163, and I'll do the presentation for that. So um, we do have increases in our budget because you see that there are some additional staffing that are added as well as one-time investments. Um, you are not seeing the increase in the staffing again because of that that project supported work, so some of the staffing is showing up in the CIP, so that's why it looks constant. Um, so the Administrative Services Department covers a um, broad range of functions, including supporting our the maintenance of our parks, fleet, and facilities, 
Um, we do all things financial, from budget and tax to finance operations, so paying the bills to creating the budget and um, our annual financial report, as well as supporting all information technology for um, the city that supports all of the applications and um, hardware that we all use every day. So the, um, this slide shows the allocation of, of our funds with um, parks, fleet, and facilities being the largest portion of our budget at 35% and IT at 29%, um, as well as we have citywide, which are, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but those are costs that are not um, specific to a particular department. So I wanted to highlight our parks rental revenue where um, we actually have a good news story. So this chart doesn't tell the story as well as I wish it would, but we had a significant decrease in obviously the use of our, our parks fields and such. Um, so 2020, but for renting two large fields to King County for um, the the COVID response center would have had a very low revenue, but we are back to um, beyond our pre-pandemic levels in our revenue um, for parks, facilities, rentals, and um, that is in large part to the um, implementation of our new software, being able to um, be a little more creative in how we rent so we can get more use out of picnic shelters as well as bar ball fields. So that has not only allowed more people to use the, um, the fields and the, the services, but also to increase revenue. We do have some um, changes, some ongoing changes. So there is the um, addition in the proposed budget of one parks maintenance worker, and that is partially an extra help conversion. So this does not add, add any additional support. It just converts from using extra help to um, a regular FTE. And then the other half of the position would be CIP supported. And it would be focused on supporting, providing support to our urban forestry program and would be supported through the um, CIP, which is the King County Parks Levy funding. And there is the addition of a 0.25 wastewater accountant that the 0.25 is actually reflected in the um, utility funds, but I wanted to call it out here. And this was being fully supported by a reduction of professional services where um, with Ronald Wastewater District, they actually paid a CPA firm every year to help with accounting. And so we would be bringing that work in-house. And then the addition of a 1.0 functional analyst that will support two new applications that are being included in the proposed budget. One is to support the parking system, and the other application is a CIP planning and project management tool that would replace our existing very delicate and fragile and old um, CIP, CIP planning model. So um, those are the additions. In addition, there are one-time costs to support the strategic technology plan investments as well as aerial photography update, which we do every few years. And then the final items that would be included in a levy lid lift amendment, um, if voters that would be in the recommended levy lid lift um, amendment if voters were to approve the um, levy lid lift would be the addition of a 1.0 FTE IT specialist. 
And the genesis for this is that we spoke with council at the strategic planning workshop about our um, workload concerns in IT. We actually engaged a um, external consultant to work with our staff um, to identify workload. And they identified that we were significantly understaffed and actually recommended the addition of 2.75 FTEs in IT. This would be addressing the most critical and what we think would help the most of having an IT specialist, which would free up the other analysts to be able to um, to focus more on their project work and daily support work. So that was our priority in addressing those. In addition to um, converting some extra help funding, um, as well as adding some general fund funding to support a 0.5 videographer web specialist. So currently we have extra help videographers who do our evening meetings to, um, to handle this. With the implementation of hybrid conferencing, we find that the utilization is significantly more complex and as we need that during the day, we actually require additional support during the day. Um, and given the IT staffing analysis, realize that our existing staffing just isn't, doesn't have capacity to address that. So with that, I would be happy to answer any questions council might have. And I have staff in the wings to answer anything I can't answer. Councilman Roberts. Thank you. I'd like to dig a little bit more into this 0.5 videographer. Um, and the way I understand, Videographer is often sort of on the communication side, but you're describing this not really as a communication, but more as on the IT support. Exactly. Side. I think the the videography nature is that they're recording meetings and such, but it it's not like a wedding videographer where they're doing action shots. Um, it is definitely a more technical position, but um, I and and the thought is that there is a lot of web. Um, integration that needs to happen now with our videography or posting to the web. And so we thought the additional capacity that could be added um, by the point five, not only can they address the evening meetings, but they could help with the, um, with the needed web support during the day as well. Well, and I've, I mean, I know I have seen a lot of video that's been produced by the city I mean, about uh, proposition the, all the, the propositions that we've put out um, there's a lot of work on the uh, from the planning department that in videos that are produced um, so I, I do anticipate that would be within that scope or that would or not be within the scope so it really would be around supporting the hybrid conferencing and the video support um, related to that I don't think at the point five that the that the capacity would be there to take on those type of videography projects. Who, uh, my next question, follow-up is, before I see the city manager, is who is currently providing the support for, those, for that work the city is doing right now? So that, that comes through our communications division. So when it's developing videography content for external use that is independent of meetings, that is um, services that either they've done in-house or they have done through professional services contracts. Hopefully that helps distinguish, yeah. yeah. We've just called the person who has done our meetings a videographer, that's what, why that title has. Um, if, I, if I may, um, I'm Karen Mast, I'm the IT manager. 
um, we we have a new need. Essentially, we've we've had a part-time videographer that has done council meetings and other board meetings, and now we're venturing into hybrid meetings um, that need some additional support, and we have um, more need of more support for um, video on the web and things like that. So um, essentially, the ask for this is that this person would support what you already know, the council meetings and board meetings, and then augment um, meetings within the city and help with that. Councilmember Puppy. Thank you, Mayor. I just want to appreciate uh, Ms. Lane's use of terminologies, not just accounting, but even in filming, she said, still shots. That's great. Um, my question has to do with facilities, uh, revenue by program on page 168. It keeps going down, and I'm just wondering, because you, you had just um, highlighted that you are, is that facilities for uh, rentals? Um, no, I think that facilities is our facilities maintenance, and I think the, the explanation there is that we analyzed where staff were spending their time, and we've reallocated it so that it's more reflective. So I think fleet was being understated historically, and we've tried to true true that up. No, I mean, re with not expenditure revenue. Oh, and the revenue. Yes. Oh, so that is the parks. Sorry, that revenue is the um, parks facilities rental. Then yes. So now that you know people want to get out and do a lot of activities yeah. in the parks, the expected or the projected revenue is now reduced. And I'm sorry, I just lost somehow From on the page that you told me. Yeah. You can look at it later. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll I will I will look at that and okay. we'll sounds good. get a more thorough answer to you. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, I noticed uh, on uh, expenditures under grant research and development. Uh, at one point, there was the expended the uh, expenditure was two hundred thousand dollars in 2018-2019, and the um, expected amount will be for uh, the 2022-23 or 23-24 would be fifty-two thousand. I'm kind of wondering why there's such a uh, reduction in that in that budget item. Yeah, we actually had a dedicated staff to coordinating grants throughout the city. We reallocated that position, and um, departments are now coordinating their own grants. We um, so that is where that. But we did retain some funding to do contingency if we need support from grant writing. Um, but in essence, departments are coordinating their own grant own grant cycles. And then we now have some accounting support, and then we put some of that over in human services. So um, we we split that position to where we saw the the need to be greatest. All right, thank you. And I'll point out we continue to be very successful in in getting grants. So it hasn't we haven't seen a decrease in that. Anything further from Councilmember Mark? So on the grants, do you have any uh, documentation as to how much we get each year or you know, how, how big of an influence that is? 
I'm going to say a lot, but honestly, that maybe is the one thing, because if, if um, we still had that position, they could tell you um, exactly how much, but I will get the answer to that, and we'll put it in the council question matrix. Thank you. The last issue of Currents, or it was the one before that had a big article about all that, uh, so we'll pull that up. Yeah. Anything further from council? All right. Thank you, Ms. Lane. Thank you. So, um, oh, I'm, and just citywide, this covers the various types of um, costs that are covered in our citywide, which are generally, as I mentioned, things that are not attributable to a particular department. So all of our agency members, liability insurance, excuse me, and contingencies. And then looking ahead um, to our schedule for the next um, few weeks, we will return next week covering public works, and um, our CIP, as well as our two enterprise funds and the other funds. Then we begin our public hearings. We have two public hearings on November 7th, um, one that focuses on our revenue sources and then the other on our general um, budget, and then the second public hearing on our general budget um, on November 14th with adoption planned for the 21st of November. Any other questions? Anything else from Council? Okay, thank you all very much, and we are adjourned. Okay.